0: Now, Heavenly Father, we open the scriptures. We pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts. Give us the understanding that we need to hear what your Spirit is saying and put it into practice and be blessed in Christ's name. Amen. Both of my parents grew up smack dab in the middle of the Great Depression They were little kids in the 30s, which was, of course, the most severe economic times of the 20th century. Uh, Black Tuesday happened. The stock market crashed. The crop prices uh, fell 60% and more construction. uh, Total standstill and jobs were few and far between. Uh, What's interesting to me about Listening to my parents, that neither of them ever talked about those days uh, in a negative way, especially my mom, who had it worse than my father. Uh, my mom always talks about her childhood with fondness and a twinkle in her eye. She had four sisters and one brother, so a big family in rural Massachusetts. Her mother worked in a wool mill, and her father worked the small family orchard uh, there outside of Boston, a vegetable farm as well. Times were hard, of course, uh, a time when friends and family uh, pulled together, sharing the little that they had and supporting one another. Now, the family all worked very hard, whatever they could find, including the kids with uh, odd jobs after school. And she would tell of coming home and tossing all their coins into an old tin can. And between that and the farm and the welfare lines and some ingenuity, they got by. And they did so with a smile. In the evenings, my mom uh, would talk about gathering the family around big wooden chunky Zenith radio, listening to scary dramas or funny comedies and sing-alongs and laugh and sing and tell stories and invent games that they could play that didn't cost money, that adversity The poverty really brought them together, and my mom said recently to me, we were poor, but in many ways we had so very much. That's kind of the main thrust of the Lord's remarks to the church at Smyrna. Now, it didn't look like these persecuted Christians had a lot, but boy, from God's point of view, they did. They had much. Now, Jesus here is going to reveal to the churches the things that will happen after the church is removed from the earth. Chapters 4 through uh, chapters 22 of the book of Revelation talk about those infamous judgments that bring human history to its final destiny, to a Christ-rejecting world. But here in chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation, it's really about what is now And that would be the church doing her work on the earth. Uh, And the Lord now wants a word with his people. And he's going to address the strengths and the weaknesses. And and he's going to commend them and correct them. And the Lord's found a way to speak to every Christian in every church that's ever existed through these seven These seven exist, as we've been talking about. They're local congregations that that have remains even in modern-day Turkey where they existed historically. But the Lord picked seven churches that through their strengths and their weaknesses, their good and their bad, through his commendations and corrections, he would be speaking to issues that his church and his people would for all time Always be dealing with and so as you're listening to these commendations and corrections in these seven churches, we are on number two of seven. Uh, be listening for the rock because we're in there from and for yourself because you are the church. The church is, in, is made up of individuals. It's called ecclesia in the Greek, the called out ones. And so you are the church. We are the church. And so Revelation chapter 2, now to the second letter uh, to the people who lived in Smyrna, verse, 11, verse 8 rather, two eleven. 11 To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are actually the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. So we pause there. Now the second letter to the second church of seven. Let's walk through this very brief but encouraging letter to a church that will represent, kind of be the cameo, uh, the face Uh, for all persecuted believers throughout the ages. Now, first of all, let's get the situation, the context. The letter is addressed to uh, the church in Smyrna. Now, this is a church that's located about 40 miles north, still along the seacoast there, from the church, the first church we looked at there in Ephesus. A beautiful city, a seaport, as I mentioned, Prosperous uh, because of the trade. They had a university there for medicine and the sciences. Smyrna was nicknamed the pride and crown of Asia. It was a beautiful and prosperous place for most people. But for Christians, it was a dangerous place to live. Its name, Smyrna, means bitter, and that was really more like our experience there as believers from the word myrrh you can hear in smyrna the myrrh is an embalming spice for the dead which is a more fitting description of life for the believer in this ancient city now we know from history that it was a city deeply committed to idolatry although roman and greek Uh, gods and goddesses, and also to the worship of the Roman emperor. Now, they were the privileged ones to build the very first beautiful temple for the worship of the Roman Caesars. And so, uh, Smyrna was on the map because Rome loved them, because they had built this beautiful temple to worship the Lord their God, which was the Caesar of the day. And so that was the situation there. But here's what put the myrrh in Smyrna. Here's where the bitterness came in for our spiritual ancestors. Once a year and on holidays to prove your political loyalty to that Caesar, uh, you would enter the temple and you would have to register. You would have to, in the presence of officials, take a pinch of incense and place it on the altar and worship the emperor by exclaiming in the official's hearing, Caesar is Lord. The word there used, kurios, is the same word that Jesus uses of himself. After you did that, you would have a certificate that verified you've been seen offering worship to Caesar as a patriotic citizen of his empire. It was like a driver's license. Without the certificate, you couldn't work, you couldn't join the unions, you couldn't own, you couldn't sell, you couldn't trade, <clears throat> you couldn't live. So simple, so easy. So practical, just three little words, but so impossible for us. Now, what's worse, the emperor at the time of this writing, Domitian, uh, his self-designated title was Lord and God. And it is he who made the refusal of worship uh, to him a capital crime for non-compliance. Hence, the gladiatorial games were open for people like us. Christians would rather die than give any man the title that rightfully belonged to the God who saved them from their sins. Uh, they did not and they would not confess Jesus Caesar rather as Lord. Now, Paul the Apostle said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's alive from the dead, you will be saved. It is the very core and essence of how a man or a woman enters eternal life. And they were being asked to deny that. Exodus chapter 20, the very first commandment. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. The Christians at Smyrna didn't have a problem with the scriptures that commanded allegiance to only God and his Christ, the one who saves us. They refused. They had more respect for the Lord's sword than for the worthless weapon in Caesar's hands. Jesus had told them in Matthew chapter 10. My friends, do not fear those who can only kill the body and then after that they can do nothing. Rather, your reverence should be for the one who after killing the body has control over where you end up, heaven or hell, and so the the they're called Smyrnians. The Smyrnians uh, believed the Lord and said, "You know what? We're not bowing down." And so the Lord knows the trouble they're in. And so we've gone from the city now in their situation to the greeting, and I love this greeting, dear church at Smyrna. Here's a paraphrase: It's me, the beginning and end. <laughs> the one who uh, has the first and last say about everything in life, I became dead, literally in the Greek it means I became a corpse. I became a corpse and conquered the grave and came to life. It's an encouraging greeting. Now, in essence, here's what he's saying. Uh, Folks, death was robbed of its sting. The grave was stripped of its power. And it wasn't the emperor who had the final say. It would be the Lord of all the earth. The one that they belong to is the Lord of history and the one with the power over death. And so now you see the context, the city that surrounded them. And we've heard the greeting that inspired them. Now we're going to hear the commendation that sympathizes with them. So Jesus knows three things there in verse 9. One verse, but he knows three things about them. He says, number one, I know your afflictions there. The word is a strong word there, afflictions. You could think of it as trouble, but it's a lot more serious than that in the Greek. Thalipsis, in the Greek, it means to be crushed or pressed. Crushing adversity, he says. I know it feels like you're being crushed. Now, Every Christian knows it's a distinct possibility because in Matthew 24, he said to his followers, Jesus, the son of God, um, one day is coming when they shall deliver you up to be afflicted. There's the word and shall kill you and you shall be hated on of all nations because of me. And so the Lord said, look at how I was received in the world. I came into the world shining the light, doing good deeds, and they uh, tormented me, mocked me, persecuted me, and ultimately crucified me. And then you <laughs> bear my light, and you are in the world. You must kind of expect the same sort of reception that your Lord, <laughs> who whom you emulate, received. So where's the disconnect? If that's how I got treated, and you represent me and live like me and uh, speak the way I did, then you're going to receive the same kind of treatment. And of course, fortunately, and how blessed are we that we live in a time and a place where that is only very uh, done done to us in social ways and not uh, practically in physical ways yet that we're aware of. And so the commendation there, I know, I sympathize, I understand, I'm standing with you in this, you can count on me, that's what I know means there in the Greek. I've been down this road myself and I'm with you. So to get a feel of what that affliction might be like, you know when we read or watch movies about the Holocaust... That's the daily pressure, the terror that the Jews lived under. They were hounded and harassed. I mean, when you watch those movies, you just can't imagine having little kids and, and living under that fear and that, that, that daily pressure. Or bring us up to date. Think what it's like to be born again in Iran or Iraq or spreading the gospel in North Korea, as we're all commanded to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make them obey the things I have commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In North Korea? Lord, seriously? Yeah, in North Korea as well. And you would get a feel of that kind of pressure. The second thing he says I know about you is I know your poverty, the word for poverty, and there's lots of different words in the Greek for being poor. This is the lowest one. This means to have nothing. Dirt poor. Now, why were they dirt poor in such a prosperous city as Smyrna? Well, they were robbed. They, were, they had their property seized. They were fired from existing jobs and prevented from being hired. But listen to their attitude. It wasn't like you might think. The writer to the Hebrews talks about folks like these who were being persecuted in chapter 10. Here's what he says Remember those early days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and at other times you stood by side by side with those who were so treated. Here's what I'm getting at. You sympathize with those in prison and get this, joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So please don't picture these Smyrnians as, you know, down and out and a big pity party. They joyfully accepted the confiscation of their possessions, knowing this, that they had something better and eternal in value. So they're saying, you know, take my home. You know what? You should see what the Lord Jesus has got for me. He's preparing a place in the Father's house. So you want this dump? Please have it. You can have it because where I'm going, uh, you're going to be amazed. And take my job. You're not going to hire me or let me have a job. You know what? Wait until you see the position the Lord Jesus Christ gives me ruling and reigning in the new world. Take my job. You can have my job joyfully because they so believe the word of the Lord that they would reign and rule with him, Take my life, wait till you see the body that comes up afterwards when the Lord calls me into resurrected glory. Philippians chapter 3 tells me it will be a body as glorious as his, the Son of God. So yeah, yeah, take my body, take my house, take my clothes. You want the clothes too? Wait till you see the robe of righteousness waiting for me. So these uh, Christians... Who were suffering the loss of all things, they did so with joy in their hearts because they were believers, I mean really believers, they knew what was coming, and they knew this life was temporal. They knew Jesus said, "You know what <laughs> uh, you're looking toward riches where that no man can get to and take away from you." so yeah, it was economic sanctions that made them poor. that was the kind of persecution even today. It's common all over the world to persecute Christians through economic sanctions. Coming soon to a neighborhood near you, or should I say a Chick-fil-A near you. Now, let me read from the newspaper article, which you will think I'm making this up, but I'm not. I'm reading from the newspaper. Officials in at least three cities in America have vowed to block efforts to open Chick-fil-A restaurants after the company's president told reporters that he supported the traditional biblical definition of marriage. <laughs> quote, Chick-fil-A values are not Chicago's values, said Mayor Rahm Emanuel in a statement to the Chicago Tribune. They, quote, They disrespect our fellow neighbors and residents, end of quote. Emmanuel was vowing his support to block construction of a Chick-fil-A restaurant, all of them, in Chicago. Guilty as charged, the company president said, we are very much supportive of the family, the biblical definition of the family unit. We are a family-owned business, a family-led business, We want to honor God with our lives. Here's the essence of what's happening. You cannot make a living because you're a Christian who believes what the Bible says about human sexuality and the sanctity of marriage. It's strictly for your viewpoint. We will not let you build. We will not let you make your living If you do not change just your view and your public statement about marriage and the family, that's today, that's America, and that's called persecution. So, yes, you're poor, but that's not the complete story. The Lord says you're poor in outward, temporary ways. He says, actually, you're rich. And so here's what he says there. He says, you don't have much money, but actually you're wealthy in, in, in a wealth that the unbelieving world knows nothing about. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know that by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich." How were the Smyrnians rich? Well, they had eternal life, forgiveness of sins, favor with God. Um, How much is that worth? How how much, if you could have a pass that said, get out of hell, freak, eternal life is yours. You will never cease to exist in the paradise of God. If you had a little card like that and it was yours, how much value would that be? Would it still be worth something if you didn't have your house or your car? You couldn't work, but you had that card. Death will not affect you. You'll live forever with God, with his favor. You'll have a new life. You'll have peace that passes understanding. All your sins will be washed away, never used against you. Because of your faith in God, you shall never be put to shame. You'll know the mysteries of what makes life worth work, and worthwhile. You'll also know how the world ends. You'll know why you're here, who God is, how to get to heaven, how to avoid hell, how to make this life work. How much is that worth? How much is a clean conscience before God and his favor to have God, Emmanuel, incidentally, what Ram's last name means, Emmanuel, God with God, us how much is that worth to have the holy spirit of god the third person of the trinity take up residence inside your heart that on the last day when your heart stops you are in the presence of almighty god because you've been wedded to the living god any value in that or is it more important that you got a roof over your head than a savior of grace over your life <laughs> he says Oh you you may look like you're poor like the proverb says there's there's people who pretend to be poor yet they have great riches and so you know what let them shut down your chicken sandwich shop you're rich the kind of riches that the mayor of Chicago and his ilk cannot touch steal or destroy so let's recap i know your pressure, check. I know your so-called poverty. You're rich. And thirdly, I know the slander. Now we're still in verse nine. The three thing. The third thing now, slander. The Greek word is blaspheme, blasphemia, and it means generally slander, but a little bit up a notch. So it means to destroy with words, to insult falsely, to accuse to attack the reputation, and the best description is verbal murder. So he says, you know, I I know what's going on. Um, You know, it's the biggest mistruth of all, that little limerick that we teach our kids, sticks and stones, may break our bones, oh, but words will never harm us. (laughs) Come on, that's a lie. Well, our hearts go out to our kids because we know they're going to get called names and be slandered. And so we want to make them feel better and say, hey, you know what? They're only words. They're only words. Proverbs says the tongue has the power of life and death. And with the tongue, you can break a bone. With a simple word, snap goes a bone. So that limerick is not scriptural, to say the least. Where's the viciousness coming from? Well, it's coming from the Jewish community. And, and, and here's Jesus says, they claim to be Jews, but they're not. So history tells us that there was a large Jewish population in Smyrna, a very hostile to born-again Christians. Why? Well, because they resented them. They resented the gospel. Here's the gospel comes and says, the the old covenant is gone. It's over. The Messiah, your Messiah has already come. Been here, done this. You're still waiting. We're telling you about somebody who already came. Fulfilled all of your laws. Uh, Your ceremonial laws are, are fulfilled. There's a new covenant. Judaism has bloomed into Christianity. And they said, we we hate you for that. They were the enemies. Now, what did he mean by they say they're Jews, but they're not? Well, uh, that means they are ethnically, they're Jews, racially. But because of their unbelief, spiritually, they nullify the blessing of what being a Jew is all about. So Paul, in Romans chapter 2, will say, you know what, you Gentiles, because he's talking to Gentiles. He's saying, you Gentiles who believe have more in common and are connected more to Abraham than an unbelieving Jew who descends biologically from Abraham's seed. He says, because you Gentiles who believe in Jesus, you're doing what your father Abraham did. He believed God and God counted that as being right with God. He says, your children... do what the father did and what your father Abraham did was believe and you guys believe therefore you're more like Jews than biological Jews because of their unbelief I was born a Jew but it meant nothing we ate pork chops we didn't go to temple I used to tell my dad dad we're not Jewish we don't do anything Jewish he said yes we are we come from Abraham Isaac and Jacob I said, you know what, Dad? Okay, we're Jews, whatever, pass the, the pork chops. You, you, you know, I, I didn't get it. Then when my father became a Christian, then it made sense. Now I'm a Jew, Jew. <laughs> now I'm a Jew, Jew. <laughs> and that makes a lot of sense for those who know me, right? Listen, it doesn't matter, the Lord is saying, racially, how you're connected. It matters spiritually. What does it matter? I'll go up to a Jew and I'll say, I'm a Jew. Hey, let's talk. Oh, you're a Jew. Yeah, don't tell me about Jesus. I'm Jewish. I go, well, let me tell you about Jesus because I'm Jewish. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? I go, uh, look at Isaiah 53. They say, Isaiah, who's Isaiah. I just assume you're a Jew. You don't know what Isaiah is. Come on. Isaiah 53 tells you about the crucifixion of the Messiah. How can you get around it? I don't even know what you're talking about. Because they're Jews, but not really. Racially, they have a place before God. But spiritually, it's nullified and void because of their unbelief. And one day that'll all change. When he comes, the Jewish nation Repents. And then he says, actually, their synagogue, the word for synagogue means to gather together. They're gathering together, but, but who's at work there? He says, the synagogue of the devil. So we find out then who's generating the, the uh, malicious slander that is fueling the persecution at Smyrna. It's through the mouth of the Jews inspired by the evil one himself, whose name means slanderer. The word diabolos in the Greek means to slander. That's his job, is to talk smack about God to you, and to talk smack about you to God. That's what he does, he accuses you to God, and he accuses God to humankind. That's his number one job description, folks. So it makes sense that from the pit of hell, through his fiery indignation against God, he's spewing forth lies and accusations from the mouth of God's enemies, temporarily, the Jews, against God's people now, the Christians, and that's all their problem. I know the duress you're under, I know you're suffering poverty. And I know what they're saying about you, the lies, and all of that. And I know, uh, listen to the encouragement. Stop being afraid. It's going to be okay. Suffering is temporary. Uh, there's a great payoff coming. Um, and so to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And because if you know what's coming, you know, you can face it. So, verse 10 is paraphrased Hey, it's not over yet stop being afraid. Some of you Christians there uh, under this satanically inspired persecution are going to wind up doing some jail time. You'll be tested. And the word there isn't pass fail. It means proven. You'll be, you'll be proven who you really are to you and to the rest of the world and uh, for 10 days. So it's interesting to me that the revelation of the end of the world, get this, is linked to the suffering and their persecution. Did you know that? That all 21 judgments from Revelation chapter 4 all the way to 19, all of that hell on earth, Armageddon kind of stuff, the mountains falling into the sea, the the heavenly bodies shaken, the sun not shining, the terrible plagues and pestilence, do you know that that is all linked to their persecution as payback? From the Lord? Well, Revelation chapter 16 says this. An angel exclaims, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets. It's payback time, really, he's saying In this life, we shine the light of Jesus Christ. We lay down our lives for him. We find life and we trust and leave it to God. Be that as it may, however that ends up for us. In the meantime, that's what we're doing. But after he removes us, he's he's taking his vengeance on all the righteous blood that was spilled from Cain, killing Abel all the way to the tribulation where more Christians will die than any time in all of history. When we're gone and those convert, to convert means you don't take the mark of the beast, you'll have your head cut off. You cannot buy or sell without that. You will be martyred. And more people will enter martyrdom than at any time. And the Lord says when he removes the church, it's, it's his vengeance and he destroys the earth. Because of what was going on with you and me and them. But now's not that time. We need to get that through our heads. Now's not the time, but a day is coming, says the Lord, where it's between him and them. And we're just gonna (laughs) stand back and let God do justice, he says. Justice. Now, I'd like you to meet. A few members of the church of Smyrna, I found some. It's a modern-day Smyrna, but I do want you to meet them. It'll help you understand this little letter. So we're going to dim the lights. It's a four-minute YouTube clip that doesn't have a lot of high quality, but you're going to get the gist of it. I wanted you to meet them because they're your brothers and sisters from the church of Smyrna. Voice of the Martyrs.
1: Islamic soldiers force your 10-year-old son to gather wood for a fire. The soldiers pressure him to convert to Islam. When he refuses, he's thrown on the burning wood he collected and left to die. They told me I would be released if I became a Muslim. I told them that was not possible. I am a Christian, so they threw me on the fire. Your son escapes, but the scars remain, a reminder of his sacrifice. Imagine, your teenage daughter goes to Bible camp. On the second day, the students are attacked. One of the attackers secures her hands behind her back, while another holds a piece of broken glass to her stomach. She's told to deny Christ. I did not answer him, so
0: he pressed the glass harder against me. Do you believe your God can help you? asked.
1: Yes. Dripped with fear, she cries out, Help me, Lord, I do not want to deny you. Imagine, your pastor has refused to register his church with the government. During the service, he's dragged from the church and beaten by the local police. When the officers find a Bible hidden in his shirt, he's beaten with it. After returning home, I felt pain all over my body. It was almost none at the beginning, but later became so painful that I could not sleep. It is the fifth time he's been arrested. If he's caught again, the police say they will kill him. Every day, thousands of Christians are persecuted for their faith. Hundreds are martyred, about one every three minutes. They're not heroes or statistics, they're family. In over 40 nations around the globe, our family is assaulted for their testimony of Jesus Christ. In most instances, the persecution could have been averted if they had simply denied Christ. But they didn't, and they won't. In Sudan, an Islamic army set on jihad, or holy war, has systematically targeted Christians. Death and suffering can be seen throughout the countryside. Countless Christians are being displaced within their own country. fleeing from persecution, they've lost everything, often arriving at refugee camps with nothing more than the clothes on their backs. In spite of heavy persecution, the church in Sudan continues growing at astonishing rates. Many of the believers bear the scars of their faith, but they also bear the testimony to God's faithfulness. Over 500 churches have been destroyed in Indonesia. On the island of Ambon, Christians have been massacred in a so-called religious cleansing by radical Muslims. Facing increased persecution, pastors in Jakarta have encouraged their congregations to stand firm, confident that their suffering is a prelude to coming revival. With the fall of communism in Eastern Europe, many have hailed its defeat. But Christians in North Korea, Vietnam, Laos, or China would disagree. Hmong villagers have been imprisoned in Vietnam and Laos after converting to Christianity. Some have had boiling water poured down their throats for simply possessing a Bible in their own language. The Hmong tribe is the largest in Southeast Asia, numbering 10 million. Meeting secretly in homes, more than 2 million have recently committed their lives to Christ. The persecution facing our brothers and sisters is not a human tragedy, it's a spiritual reality facing the body of Christ. We may not be able to stop the attacks, but we can ease their pain. Through prayer, encouragement, and practical assistance, we can fellowship in their suffering. We can show them that they are not forgotten. It's hard to ignore their pain after you hear their cries. <laughs>
0: To the church at Smyrna, these are the words of him. Gosh, it's hard. These are the words of him who is first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions, your poverty, yet you're rich. I know the slander of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer, I tell you. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. 10 days means it's not forever. Look at eternity. It's a short time. I've been in a sovereign way limiting the persecution, it's a brief time, comparatively speaking. Secondly, there's a reward. The Greek word is stephanos, not the crown that kings wear, but the wreath that athletes wear at Olympic Games when they win first prize. He says, you're my winners. You deserve a trophy. You'll inherit. In the Greek, there's, a, there's an article there before life, the life. It doesn't make sense in English, so we don't put it in there. But in Greek, it's saying you're going to win the life. Eternal life with God is yours. And he says, and by the way, the first death you pass, body and, and soul and spirit are separated. Spirit and, and soul are separated from body, death one. But I will spare you from death two, which is Spirit and soul separated from God and life. He says, that death will pass over you. Just remember these things. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray for the persecuted church this morning. It's very moving as a pastor to to hear those cries and to know that they're, they're just a small representation of many who are hurting and suffering. This morning, would you pour out your grace on those who are in agony today, who are afflicted and who are poor in this life, who are being blasphemed. Father, touch their situation. and Remind them of all these great truths that one day, one day soon, there'll be a reversal of fortunes and we'll be with you forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.